Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sensiung, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser, and today on Bilingual in America, you'll get to hear as co-producer Yarina Sensiung and I speak with two women involved in the field of education. First, Yarina speaks with Neris Rivera Rosario. Neris has worked as a social worker for teenage moms and women dealing with domestic violence. But for the past 32 years, she has worked with the New York City Board of Education, providing counseling for bilingual students with special needs. Neris views being bilingual not as a deficit or a hindrance, but rather as an enrichment and how in the midst of the pandemic, families took control of their bilingualism. Let's listen in. All right, so today we wanna welcome Neris Rivera Rosario, who's been a school social worker for how many years now, Neris? Oh my gosh, Lisa, 1986. Okay, so that's substantial, that's 30 plus year career, and I'm sure you've seen lots of uh, different trends, different needs, you work with all sorts of families, but no, I'd love to start first with um, your own bilingual story. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, sure, sure. I, I, well, I was actually born in, in New York. I was born in, in, in uh, St. Vincent Hospital in, in the village, which no longer exists. Um, but uh, so I was born here, my, my parents were immigrants and um, um, Puerto Rican heritage. And I think my bilingual story is that I, I, I was Latina right from go, right from, from the womb and on, because I, I spoke only Spanish to the age of five. Even though I lived in New York, my, my mom felt very strongly that she wanted me to identify, you know, with who I was and so that she could really pour into me. And uh, I went to kindergarten speaking no English whatsoever. And I was uh, actually a quickly a kindergarten dropout because my, my parents still felt hesitant, you know, about trusting me, I guess, to assist them. And I only attended for maybe two weeks and out I went. And then I went back in first grade to a parochial school. And I remember that I, I understood nothing when I, when I walked in. I, I didn't know not one word of English. Um, and I still, I, I remember not feeling afraid, like feeling like, oh, this is gonna be new and exciting. And um, I, I took it as a strength not as a deficit because I, I I responded to what I felt like I wanted to respond to and then I made them work to make themselves understood to me. So um, it, I never felt it was a, how should I say, a hindrance or um, a deficit because I, I just, you know, embraced it. I didn't know any English, but they assigned me a buddy and I started from there. So it, I, I, I think in Spanish, I pray in Spanish, I sing in Spanish, and then I, English is, actually English is my second language, even though I was born here. Uh, so I don't see it as a, as a hindrance. I see it as something that really enriched me and uh, kind of grounded me as to who I was. 
Like mm -hmm. it was, I, I was never feeling like this minority word I never could connect to because I always felt like I'm the majority. You know, I, I, this is who I am and um, I'm, I'm in totality. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's so important uh, when families make a very conscious choice mm -hmm. to um, be inclusive and diverse in their upbringing and, and they want you to have a really strong foundation and be connected to your roots and um and look what it created this like fearless young whippersnapper who just <laughs> embraced her whole identity and what a beautiful gift that they gave you yeah it was very so helpful. now Nettie's as a social worker working with many bilingual families and in the lens you know with this lens of covid that's still impacting us of course what do you think are some of the trends or needs that you've seen with bilingual families? Well, it's so interesting because when before the COVID, when we had the bilingual children coming in, uh, it was kind of twofold. The school would see them as let's put them right away in a bilingual setting because they're not capable of coming up to the English part. You know, that, that's, that's what was my experience in the schools. That, that was the assumption always made, you know, let's push away, let's give them the Spanish because that's all they have. Um, but I see now that parents have kind of taken the reins and they have decided either somehow to, they embrace their, their bilingual part as their source of comfort. Uh, many of them have gone back to, uh, you know, their, their, their islands or whatever, like let's say Puerto Rico, DR. We have a lot of kids coming in through Zoom from there you know, and, and still embracing the school system, but they went back home. And I see that they took it as a place of comfort. So in terms of the bilingual education, we have a lot of the Spanish speakers, they're not here in New York. They're not here. They, mm. they you know, they, they, they went back home for whatever reason. So I, I, see, I feel like they've taken control of their bilingualism as opposed to the system telling them what to do with it. Wow. So that, and it kind of resonates, right? Uh, just like when we had, um, uh, I think it was Hurricane Maria that we made all these preparations for the the Puerto Rican children to come, right? And they never came. They they never arrived to our schools. We made all this space, but instead of a deficit, I suppose as they were taking control, where are they going to go? Even if they went to Florida or whatever. So I'm just saying, in terms of they took their bilingual piece and they made it a strength, and they and and they made it work on their own terms, not on our terms. And by ours, I mean the school system, because that's where I come from. I'm a social worker in a school. So that's my frame of reference. Right. So in working with the families, um, what conversation is driving them now? Like, do they see themselves returning? Do they see themselves um, settling back home? Is there any conversation oh, about well, they that? Well, you know, they're kind of trickling back, you know, back to, to I would say New York, because that's where I'm, where I'm at. They're trickling back slowly. Um, uh, you know, as, as things kind of settle in. So I feel like everyone is making a shift, you know, like a shift back to what was pre-COVID in terms of preparation coming, or like even when we had the families that went south, you know, Spanish speakers, they're also coming back. Uh, now they're feeling more assured and planning together, how are we gonna, how are we gonna do this? So I, it's like, um, I liken it to a village, right? So the borders were extended in some way because uh, the COVID isolated us. But in terms of education, uh, physically it couldn't 
that's when people went elsewhere, right? And and they they were coming into the into the classes from other places. So it was kind of a surreal feeling because even though we were um, closed in, isolated, contained by the COVID, the the many families it didn't contain them. They decided well, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to go home. So it was actually I feel like it was like a like a rebellious act. Uh, I'm going to go here. You know, and then like some of our Spanish speakers, they were more exposed to their cultures because they had gone home. Um, so we saw them struggling a little bit because of the duality, maybe, uh, you know, what's going on, maybe not connecting so much to school anymore. So that, that, that was an issue. And um, the children who have been speaking English, all of a sudden they weren't speaking English. You know, they were just talking to us in the Spanish, whereas before we would see a lot of code switching, we were no longer seeing that. So it, it operated in many different ways. I, I think we won't really know the effects of it until we come back in totality and the kids are in the classroom. Right. So then, you know, with that in mind, you know, it's, you bring up such a good point. Now, how do we prepare? Like, you know, if this is the state of um, bilingual education right now from your perspective right in your school how do we prepare as families begin to transition back uh, where children might be now feeling more dominant in their first language again mm -hmm. because that's been the exposure well i think that the challenge is going to be this Usually we, we, when we receive children in school, we want to separate their emotions from their intellect. That's always, that's always the push, even from, you know, from administration. They don't, want to, they don't want to hear about the problems. They don't want to hear about the issues. How can they produce? So I think we're going to see now that we cannot separate, we cannot cut people in that way, right? We're mind, body, and spirit. So I, I think one of the challenges is going to be, can we face the challenge of addressing the spirit, right? Uh, because that's what's, been the mostly i think attacked in this pandemic your spirit your your soul right not your intellect not so much because we're, we're connected to zoom we're doing all these all these uh, people are engaging in all these studies all these online studies but how are we going to deal with the spirit so and i speak for that because i'm a social worker so that's where my where mm -hmm. i come from so i believe that will come september for kids especially we need to prepare for that you know regardless of the language we have to see uh, children as children. Um, where where were they stagnated in their emotional growth, in their isolation? Uh, even though we know children are extremely resilient, extremely, but we still have to account for all that they've been through. Uh, you know, they they've been bereft in many ways. Uh, when I when I speak to my children, I have sessions. I have group sessions. You know, I have individual sessions, and even the most. Uh, um, let me see, how should I say, a uh, child with an, a lot of energy that's hard to focus, they still show up and they expect me to show up. And a lot of my kids will say to me, oh my God, Miss Rivera, you're here, you're here, you showed up, you, you, you never left me. They'll use words like that. You know, they'll mm -hmm. say, thank you, you, I could count on you. So this is to say that the emotional part, I think, is the most crucial part. Yes, we're, gonna con we're concerned that they're um, maybe lagging behind educationally or all that. But I think we should be concerned with the person. You know, how do we deal with helping them in their spirit so that they can learn, so that they can come back to that safe place and knowing that we were still always there. We were mm. still always there. Because I think that for children, it, what matters is 
did you show up? Did you show up? Right. No. You know, it's interesting because um, I've, I've always had that um, stand where that we have to treat the whole child mm-hmm. and we have to look at the whole child. And you're right, in education, I think sometimes we focus on numbers and data, but maybe COVID has given us a second chance mm-hmm. to really um, address the whole child, support the whole child, and, and in that, their village as well. Absolutely. And and in the fact that they accepted us in their homes, this became a sacred time because, you know, they come to school, we don't, we suspect their, their home life, we don't know it. But this time the parents had to trust us with their home life, you know, for us to see into their life because we're on this camera, they're seeing into our lives, and, you know, we're sharing each other. So I, I think that if we, the, COVID, the COVID time was also a sacred time in which we, we shared our lives in totality and we were holding on for each other because as much as we showed up for the kids, the kids were showing up for us. You know, they, they were, because I know when I was feeling at my lowest or my most isolated, I would be excited, you know, to, to speak to one of my kids or a group and how do we do this together, especially in counseling where, you know, presence is everything, but we were limited to, okay, let's focus on language now because we don't have any, we didn't have any tools. You know, it's not the same, you, I'm, I'm looking through a camera. So it was very challenging, but I believe that these, that these kids were such a gift to us as well, you know, to us as professionals because they were also showing up as much as we did. So it, um, I think that the village, the concept of the village really became prevalent in this COVID time. Mm then how how does our village stand how does it stand you know in the in the in the physical distance so that you could see that it was it stood in the spiritual in the spiritual you know right well you know you bring such an interesting perspective and um in in many ways i look forward to the work ahead of us because we are going to be able to embrace that whole child that whole village and and, and do important work that matters. The life lasts and, and impactful and speak your beauty. And so um, I know that there are many ways that you speak your beauty, but if you could just share it with us, how does that show up in your life? How do you speak your beauty? Um, I think it shows up I, I, I'm going to say it shows up um, definitely in my language, you know, because now that, now that we have physically the mask before, so we don't see one another, uh, which could be good or bad. Right? But in terms of, I would say I would speak my beauty in terms of I make revelation of who I am inside. You know, who do I feel that I am? How do I share who I am? How do I share my, my, my truth? My truth and my truth, I feel like even how do I share my weakness, uh, my struggles? I think that's kind of beautiful that I'm, I'm trusting enough others to share who, who I am. Like, for instance, that I, I send my, my morning prayer, right? What I'm sending is a word of how I'm, how I'm surviving, how I'm, what, what, where I'm drawing my strength from so that you, and I'm sharing it so you could draw your own. So I think that's how I share. I, I would say that's how I share my beauty. You don't see me the physical, but you definitely see me the spiritual. You definitely see my heart and my soul. You definitely see what is inside of me. 
So I would say that my inner beauty is showing you who I am inside, not who I am in the mirror. That's so beautiful. So I, I hear you saying, you know, being transparent, mm -hmm. um, showing your heart and speaking your truth. And I feel like that's a theme that's been coming up a lot lately. You know, it's like time is precious. We don't have time for falsehoods. We don't have time for, um, you know, uh, fakeness. We, we, exactly. we the superficial, to... the superficial, right? Let's get yeah. a little deeper. Let's get it. Everything that we've been, we can't stay on the surface. You gotta swim in the deep. Forget about mm. wading in the pool. Swim in the deep. You know. So that's what. That's it how is. I they see it. Yes. No. I, I I really appreciate what you're saying. So um, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you. Um, you're, your work is so important and so necessary. And so I'm going to speak my truth right now and, and my beauty and wishing you well. And um, and let's say, adelante, here we come. Adelante. Nos paramos juntas. Nos paramos juntas. We stand together. Absolutely. Bendición. Thank you, Teddy, so Bendición. much. Thank you. Ines Morsi Hogans is an Egyptian-American educator with 25 years of experience. Currently, she is the principal of a dual language school that remained open during the pandemic when most others were remote or in hybrid mode. Ines shares how communication and teamwork are part of the secret sauce in this year's instructional reality and successes. I wanna welcome back Ines Morsi Hogans. We had spoken with her on a different episode about her experiences as an Egyptian American, but today we're going to tap into her expertise as an instructional leader at an elementary school, actually a dual language school here in New York. So Ines, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, we're going to dive right in. You know, it has been a whirlwind of uh, a year academically, and as we get ready to wind down, I wanted you to share with our listeners what it has been like for you as the building leader, because you were open and providing in-person instruction at the height of the pandemic. And so just share with us a little bit about why and how you feel that helped your families, especially your families who are immigrant families and um, were not able to necessarily travel outside of the country or even their locale um, looking for respite from from the pandemic well uh what went well it was really definitely a challenging year 2020 2021 most challenging year of my career to say the least um, but the academic year was i would say successful because of communication and when I say communication, I really would have to say the teamwork level of communication because um, everything began from central office, but then when central office disseminated information, then the health office team, um, and I had to get really creative because I had a nurse and a half <laughs> most of the time, and um, my nurse is monolingual, but my community, um, specifically the community that really was inundated with the level of information that just became too overwhelming to synthesize needed a level of hand holding that required verbal communication. 
Um, and so we identified individuals that were nurturing and empathetic and kind and bilingual to step in and help the nurse when needed, as needed, at all times. Um, made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, because we had to become contact tracers, and um, that caused initial frenzy at the onset. Um, but then when we convened a CERT team meeting, which is the um, safety emergency response team in our school, and that um, involved stakeholders, not just the nurse and the building level administration, but there was also a custodian, um, there was a, an aide, um, there was a school psychologist, so the clinical team was represented, and everyone really got to talk about some of the challenges that we were dealing with as we had to begin to quarantine um, individuals. We learned that we can really begin to share the work and in specifically about communication, like how to divide and conquer. And so, um, you know, specifically to respond to your question, I think that communication um, literally like the daily health screener, we created a paper screener. Um, when we needed to specify the return to school, we would have um, a follow-up call to the family the day before the students would have to return to school. I mean, there was continuous creation of tools mm -hmm. and as you're adapting the guidelines um, that are changing in real time, you are changing tools that can be user friendly to serve the community that, um, to support the community that you're serving. So um, teamwork, communication, and um, a ton of creativity in a time when, you know, guidance is, you know, in real time, things are changing in real time and you're constantly having to adjust. So that's how we address some of those challenges. So you talks about different stakeholders from the custodian to the aides to the nursing um, educators and of course building level administration being so important, right? And when you have different vantage points and different roles, like you said, and communication, teamwork definitely um, allowed you to operate safely for your students. So I want you to reflect now and thinking uh, back what do you feel was the driving force that, that got you to continue each day? And um, if there's one really poignant moment that for you, no matter how many tears you cried and how many late nights there were and how many difficult moments just really um, gave you the extra breath to keep going. Wow, there's so many. Um, so. I really feel like this um, th this job that we do is really not a job. It's sort of like a purpose. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, I love, love my students and um, my faculty and my staff. I absolutely adore them. Um, and being able to see students come to school, because we really didn't know what it was going to look like. That was the other thing. Uh, we sent out surveys to gauge what our preparation would require for the classrooms to be prepared for K-1-2 was all in from the beginning of the school year, but 3-4-5 was hybrid. And still there was a lot of things lost in communication because parents really didn't understand what they were being asked to select. And so I, I would say that uh, opening day was tremendous, uh, brought me a tremendous amount of joy and 
seeing children after being forced to stay home since March was overwhelming and super emotional for sure. Um, prior to that, the only other time that I had seen students was during our district uh, parade. So that was a big day, opening day, seeing children, the mass compliance and um, their excitement to be in school was so heartening. And then um, throughout the year, there were moments when we were reintroducing, specifically after the winter, as the guidelines and the guidance changed, um, allowing more and more students to come back as we were learning um, and leaning in and adapting. But the big day for, um, there were two big days most recently. Um, April 12th was huge because all the students um, returned. And so it was another welcome back. We had a DJ outside, uh, our mascot was outside and um, that was super emotional. Um, kids who were maybe in the top half of the alphabet who hadn't seen their friends in the bottom half of the alphabet, um, finally learning again together. And um, the work that led up to that day was tremendous. And so you really were exhausted because parents had um, real fear about having their children come back and we had to do outreach and we did it, uh, personal outreach to get every fifth grader back in the building. So we have zero fifth graders learning remotely um, and it is the most special year in elementary school before they transition over to the middle school. So I got to see all, all those guys come back and that's really special. And we only have two third grade students and two fourth grade students who continue to learn remotely um, due to health reasons, which is totally understandable. So our response um, to getting families back is, is really, it's impressive and it's truly a, a testimony to, to the boots on the ground and the people who I trust and love um, who did that outreach. And so that day was tremendous. And then most of last week, we were um, given the okay to take barriers down and we had a uh, resounding yay and a cheer from uh, all the kids because you know that um, the kids in the back couldn't even see the smart board. And so the the barriers coming down is another is another emotional day. And, you know, every day is a gift. We are eating outside on towels and um, we're just making adjustments to use every single corner of our school um, to spread out and learn and just be together and have community and fellowship and, um, you know, just have community. So lots of those moments where with each time that we became closer to um, being together was an opportunity for us to rejoice for sure. So kudos to you and your team. I mean, having all of your students in fifth grade presence and uh, such a high number overall in your building is tremendous. It says a lot about the trust that the families have in you and the instructional team at the building level. And in other districts, I'm sure you've seen on the news and just maybe even know colleagues, so many families left and went elsewhere. And the fact that your families stayed and because of your face-to-face -face communication, because of the consistent presence, they were able to allow for less of an interruption to their child's normal schooling. So uh, kudos to you and, and thank you for being a, a fearless leader. And even if you were certain times overwhelmed, still pushing forward because of your love of education and the community that um, you support. 
So that's a great way to finish off this year. And I'm sure that the last day of school in June will definitely also be a high point for you and everyone um, in the building, like you said, from the custodian to the nurse, to the secretaries, um, to the teachers, because you've all earned, I think, uh, the opportunity to, to see children smile safely. And uh, I look forward in my district to the day when we can remove the barriers as well. So you're giving us something to look forward to. Coming, it's coming. Yes. Thank you so much, Ines, for taking time again. And um, hopefully we'll be able to invite you back for another future episode. And keep doing what you're doing. Speak your beauty. Thank you so much for having me. And you keep doing what you're doing. You guys are doing great work. Appreciate you so much, Suzanne. During our conversations today, Yarina and I learned how some of our families were able to go back home while others could not and remained here. However, one thing that was common was the steadfast dedication to education and growing bilingual skills. There has been a lot of talk about COVID learning loss, but as I listened to Neris and Ines, I heard about what was gained, not what was missing, but what was added. And as we begin to remove our masks and take down the barriers in our classrooms, Let's bask in this notion of inclusion, diversity, enrichment, collaboration, teamwork, and the spirit of our students. As Nettie said so well, we need to swim in the deep. Together, we can continue to move forward on this same trajectory, one where the social emotional needs and the instructional needs of our students are equally important and given equal amounts of attention. So while we have not faced a challenge like this before as a country, what I do know is that the creativity, the dedication, the passion, the resilience of the immigrant community that is a core fiber of America will continue to drive us forward so that we can continue to speak our bilingual beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.